Welcome to Season 6 of Business Book Talk. Every week, we have a business book author talk about their book and discover why they wrote it. The conversations are casual in tone, but we try and dig a bit deeper into the subject of the book and discover the author's background and their core ideas. I'm sure you'll like this week's book, so let's get started. Hey everybody, it's Bob again. I've got the Small Business Owner's Guide to Local Lead Generation, Proven Strategies and Tips to Grow Your Business. And this is a, a collaborative, uh, it's Ray, Justin, Phil, Kevin, and Mark. And I've got Kevin with me today, and uh, we're going to have a little chat about this, uh, this fun little book. Uh, so Kevin, to get started, why do you think this book's important to have on the market today? Well, Bob, the reason that uh, myself and the other authors wrote this book is that we all work with uh, local business owners almost exclusively versus people who have a, like a regional or national or online only uh, market. We, we work with people who are marketing to their local community. And what we've seen is that still in this day and age, despite all the information that is out there available at your fingertips on the internet, um, most people who start local businesses just do not have the first clue about how to market those businesses. They still don't understand the importance of things like having a, a responsive website design or even having a website to begin with. Um, believe it or not, there are still a lot of local businesses now in 2015 that don't have websites. Um, and we, we just see a lot of misunderstandings. We see a lot of businesses wasting time and energy on marketing tactics that will never work. Um, and for a local business owner, that's time and money that they cannot afford to waste. So we really just wanted to educate these people about um, some of the realities of marketing in general, and especially some of these specific strategies that a local business has available to them and some of the tactics that they can use that some of their bigger competitors actually can't use just because of the nature of uh, the way they work. So that's really why we wrote the book and why we felt there was a need for it. Awesome. Hey, so, you know, it's interesting. This is a subject uh, uh, near and dear to me because uh, I'm constantly helping out small businesses. And yes, they are um, pretty pathetic when it comes to uh, understanding the reality that the situation that they're in. Uh, and I wanted to, to ask you, now that you've kind of got this book out and, and obviously you're, you're expanding and talking to more businesses, do you still feel that um, they're totally clued out to to what they've actually got themselves into. I mean, there's the amazing book, The E-Myth Revisited, and if nobody's read it, please read it. Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's that's exactly where I was going to go with my answer. <laughs> that, that is that is as true today as when that book was first published. Uh, gosh, it must it's at least 20 years ago, wasn't it, when that uh, first came out? Yeah, and it still rings true today, and 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 the wonderful stories that have gone in. I mean, they're they're very inspiring. Um, I would say though that this book you should read before you read the E Myth because it kind of is even more grounded than the E Myth. I mean, the E Myth is awesome. Then you know you get to build your system, and then you kind of uh, build up the company, and then you can step out of that system. And some of the stories the guy talks about about customer service are awesome, but they're really talking about businesses that are already established. And for 
me, I really think that for your first three to five years as a small business, and, and I don't even like to use the word small business because I think that's a terrible term. I like to call them solopreneurs. Basically, it's one guy or one woman or um, a husband and wife team running the business. They really don't have any staff because they're so small. Like they're a micro business. And, and that really changes the way that you have to market. You have to market a lot smarter. So um, for people out there that are listening that are in that category, they're not a small business, they're actually a micro business. What do you think that they should be doing because they're up against not having enough money, not having enough time because they're doing everything from accounting to sales to uh, research and running over and picking up their product and distributing it. What should they be concentrating on first out of all those things? Uh, well, I think the first thing they have to do, um, which incidentally is the first thing that uh, a business that does a million dollars worth of sales has to do, is come up with a rock-solid marketing strategy. Um, the difference is a business that does a million dollars worth in sales can get away with not having a marketing strategy because they can afford to blow a couple thousand or tens of thousands of dollars on tactics that don't work. Unfortunately, you're solopreneur, your new business can't afford to do that. So they really need to have a, a rock solid strategy. What I mean by that is who exactly is their ideal customer and what is it about their business that appeals to that customer in a way that's different from any of their competitors. In other words, their unique selling proposition, their core difference, or whatever you want to call it. So let's, let's just take a, I don't know, a local HVAC company, for example. Um, you could say for a company like this that their ideal customer is anybody who has a heating and air conditioning system for their home. Well, this is way, way too broad for a, a new business. Um, you really need to narrow that down and say, okay, um, we're looking for people who have these two types of air conditioning systems or heating systems with homes that are um, this old and maybe in, in these neighborhoods and the owners make between you know, uh, this much money and this much money. Um, and maybe the, they are new homeowners. Uh, maybe they own their home for less than a year or, or whatever. Whatever the case may be, you really have to get a very specific idea of who that ideal customer is so that you can um, use tactics and strategies that uh, hit that person directly. Well, yeah, what you're talking about classically is is research the heck out of your market. And, and I think this is another failing of many, many uh, small business owners. They say, hey, let's start up a business. And the next day they're in business. They haven't done any research. They don't have a business plan. They have no marketing strategy. And they say, eh, what the heck? You know, it can't be that hard. Not realizing it's probably one of the hardest things they're going to uh, endeavor to try and get started uh, in their life. So for people that have a business plan. They've actually got that together and they kind of have a marketing idea plan. They have done some research. You know, you were talking about asking very specific questions and, and that is a great tactic. Um, I remember being at a BNI one day and uh, this woman stands up and said, look, at I am looking, I'm a realtor, I, I have great service and uh, I'm looking for blue houses about halfway down a block in the Richmond area and three hands went up compared to another realtor that uh, was a guest that day and they said yeah I service the lower mainland which is five cities and we have great service too no hands went up so 
that tactic you just mentioned is very effective to helping people help. I mean, when you're in a small business situation and if you're in a small business uh, group like a BNI, uh, any networking group, you've got to really help the people help you. And one of the things to do is to drill down and give them very specific requests so that they can focus and have their aha moment. So what else should they be doing um, in those type of meetings? And uh, maybe what we should do is back up a little bit and talk about networking meetings because I think that's probably one of the most cost-effective ways for a small business to get out there and market themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, one of the chapters in our book, of course, is about referrals. And uh, we have a whole section in there about BNI. So I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm glad to hear you're a member yourself, because I, I think it's a great, great organization for um, local businesses. So really, you have to understand about networking is uh, number one, as Ivan Meisner, the founder of BNI, loves to say, it is networking, not net sitting. <laughs> in other words, you do have to work at it. Um, so once you have that mentality, under understand, okay, this is something that's going to require my time and energy. Um, the next thing you need to understand is that networking is about finding ways that you can help other people, um, especially other business owners. Because a lot of people approach networking as like, okay, how can I find people to sell my stuff to? But that's not what it's about. No one's going to listen to you um, if you're just trying to sell them stuff. They want to listen to you if you're trying to help them. And you can either help them by connecting them with someone else who could be their customer and making a referral. You could help them by um, giving them some free information or free advice or even in some cases some free service at a, at a basic level um, or you could just help them by uh, forming some sort of strategic partnership uh, if the two of you serve the same demographic but it, it, that's really what networking is about is finding ways that you can help other people and that's the philosophy behind BNI is givers gain um, if you are able to help somebody that person uh, is going to want to help you in return, or even if it's not that person specifically, um, your goodwill will come back to you in, in one form or another. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a very sound way of doing it. I mean, one of the things about running a business is actually it's like dating, and you can't uh, expect if you're in the dating game to go into a bar and approach a woman and say, "Hey, my name's Bob. How are you doing?" He's great. Hey, look at uh, let's get married. Uh, it's the same with doing business. You can't go into a networking meeting. And uh, when we say networking meeting, that's any uh, group of three or more people that are in a room and they're all in business together. Uh, and, and, and when I'm saying together, not in a partnership, but in business in that community or in that city. And, uh, you know, you constantly run into these things. You'll be in a relatively robust business meeting. And... Uh, chatting with a bunch of people at a network at the network and uh, you get one guy will be going around handing out cards hey here's my card I'm a realtor great hey gotta go and uh, that person is just wasting his time and uh, wasting their money because uh, networking meetings aren't free so I wanted to ask you what's for you you know givers gain and and that's that's a, a great philosophy and uh, networking with people get to know people but for if you really want to empower your your networking capabilities for you personally what has been your best strategy uh, working a room uh, so for the first thing you have to do um, Bob is do a little bit of work ahead of time um, most of the time when you attend a networking event 
especially if it's a BNI meeting, but you know, whether it's a BNI meeting or a chamber meeting or anything, you're going to have some idea of who's going to be there before the actual event. So uh, if it's, let's, let's just use the BNI example, since that we're both members and um, since it's such a great organization, you can actually go online and see the list of every uh, member in a chapter before you go visit. So uh, decide who it is at that meeting that you'd really like to talk to and send them a message ahead of time, um, letting them know that you're excited about meeting them at the networking event. Um, a handwritten note card would be great or just any kind of card in the mail. Um, if you have an email address, that would work too. Um, and that way, when you get to the meeting, they, they already know a little bit about you um, and have an idea of what you do and might even have some specific questions for you. So that would be the first step. The second step um, is once you're at the meeting, um, be sure to have a good idea of you know, what you want to say to that person um, in the you know, two, three, four, five minutes that you have in front of them so that you don't end up just talking about the weather because <laughs> uh, then you just kind of wasted your opportunity. Um, know what questions you want to ask them to learn about their business. And I'd recommend things like um, asking how they got started, uh, why they love what they do, what are some of their goals for the coming year, um, and that kind of thing, because that's how you're going to find out how you could possibly help them. And the, the third thing is, after the meeting, you need to follow up with everyone that you talked to. Um, and you know, really what you want to try and do is get a, a separate meeting. Maybe it's lunch, maybe it's just a uh, some you know having coffee with the person, whatever. You want to have a separate meeting outside the networking event with the people that you talk to so you can specifically uh, talk about how you can help each other out. You know, in BNI, it's called a one-to-one. One -one. Um, they actually have a whole system for that, but it's really something anybody can do. So that would be the three things is plan ahead, you know, come prepared, and follow up. You know, I remember when I was doing a lot more bni it that is, I would say that the the follow up is probably the most critical. That's when the business happens. I mean, you can go into the meeting, get star truck and say, struck, and say, "Oh, look at all these people are handing referrals out. Isn't this great?" They're handing referrals out because they trust that person. They know that that person isn't going to basically uh, mess up the lead. Because there's nothing worse than giving somebody a lead, promising somebody else that uh, some plumber is going to help with their problem. That person doesn't follow up. Uh, so you got to trust the person is going to be on their best game, and the best way to do that is obviously get to know them better over a coffee. Um, the other thing too is like don't think because we're saying BNI, BNI, BNI all the time that that's your only choice. There are chamber of commerce, there are other groups out there. There's a ton of networking opportunities. Like if you're in a really teeny tiny town, you may only have one, maybe two chapters for your BNI, but you'll definitely have a chamber of commerce. And one of the things that they say in BNI is like if you're just going to BNI meetings, then you're failing at BNI. You've got to go to a BNI meeting, but you have to go to your chamber of commerce meetings. You have to go to other meetings. You have to be active. And I think that you've got to be going to two or three networking meetings a week if you're taking your um, social marketing very seriously. So I wanted to ask you um, in a smaller town that that has uh, not a not a huge population what do you think the best options are for for people that are trying to break into different networks well I can tell you from experience Bob that's it's tough and uh, I am facing that exact challenge myself um, as we talked on uh, before you started uh, recording 
my town is called Farmville and it is <laughs> about as big as it sounds. So uh, we're talking a population of less than 5,000 people. And the challenges that I faced uh, are that I am not from that town. I moved here a couple of years ago and I've discovered that um, unless you're related by, by blood or marriage to somebody in the community, people are not going to trust you. Um, that's a different mentality than you're going to find in a larger city. So um, if you are in a town, in a small town and from the small town, you're probably going to have a much easier time of it. But if you're not, you're really going to have to work extra, extra hard to um, demonstrate to people that you're there for the long haul, that you're, you're serious. Um, you're going to have to uh, really uh, work two or three times as hard at your, your networking um, activities than somebody who's from that community. Mm. Well, the thing too is, and you know, I, I kind of went through this in Vancouver because I I, uh, I was here and then I, I left for 25 years and, and did a bunch of stuff internationally and then came back and uh, came back to town and, hey, everybody was gone. So it was like me starting from scratch as well. And, you know, Vancouver is a slightly larger city than, than Farmville, but really uh, the economic level, it's probably the same. So... Really, the, the thing that you have to understand is if you're starting a small business or micro business, um, it really doesn't matter the size of the town or the city that you're in. It's all about your network and the trust in that network. Um, and what you'll notice if you're trying to break into a business is you've got to meet all sorts of people you don't know. And I, I think, uh, oh gosh, I was talking with a sales guy many, many years ago and he said, the difference between a, a great salesperson and a good salesperson is the great salesperson doesn't sell to his friends. And that, you know, I didn't get that. And then I got into to business and I realized like, wow, that's true because the first thing you think of is the safe sales. And so, oh, I could sell my product to my aunt or I could sell this product to my brother. And that is a classic example of a, a salesperson that doesn't know how to sell. A salesperson, a marketer, or a person that, that gets to know people has to go out there. They have to break through that barrier of discomfort and uh, shake some hands and get to know people for the first time. Right, exactly. Now, I want to kind of move, move to the next step, if we could, because once you started getting to know people and doing your network and everything, you're going to need to be able to offer them something to educate them and other referral sources about your business and tell them why they should pay attention to you, why you're better than the competitors and all that. And that's where your educational content comes in. So that's something we talk about extensively in the book and it is absolutely critical um, to, to teaching not only your referral partners but your prospective customers about why they might want to do business with you. Chapter 7, because I think it's interesting, are you listening, helping, or hurting? Because of social media, I think people are tending to be aware that you have to listen more. But uh, let's talk a little bit more about the, the helping or hurting part. When we say listings, let's define what we mean by that. Uh, there's literally dozens of places your business is listed online these days, whether you know it or not. Uh, these listings are created automatically based on publicly available databases. Uh, so companies like Yelp and uh, uh, Yahoo Local and uh, Google Plus and uh, you know, uh, the Yellow Pages and all these other local directories 
are getting pulling the information from these databases and putting your business online. That information may or may not be correct um, based on the information in the database. It uh, may be old, especially if your business has moved or if you've changed your phone number. And so the first thing you need to do is to um, go on these sites and make sure that your information that is on there already is correct because these listings actually show up in search results when people search on Google and other search engines for your business or your type of business. There's actually uh, tools out there that can help you with this. Uh, the one I use with my clients is called uh, Yext, um, but there's other uh, variety of other tools that can help you maintain and manage your listings. The second part of this whole listing mess is that most of these sites where your business is already listed allow customers or you know uh, really anybody whether or not they have been a customer of yours or not to leave a rating and review for your business and people more and more are putting a great deal of stock in these ratings and reviews when they make their buying decisions in fact i think the latest um, eye-opening stat i saw was that over 70 percent of consumers trust online ratings and reviews as much or more than personal recommendations from a friend um, when they're making a buying decision. So you really need to monitor um, what people are saying about your business online, what kinds of reviews they're leaving, and not only monitor that, but also be proactive in getting positive reviews from your good customers. Uh, unfortunately, someone who's had a negative experience with a business and wants to kind of take some revenge, so to speak, is going to be a little bit more motivated to go through the, the hassle of finding a site and leaving a negative review on that site than someone who just had a, you know, not necessarily a, a great experience, but just a normal good experience with a the business. They're, they're probably not going to run home and find a site where they can um, sing the praises of that business. So you really need to be proactive in, in making it easy for them to do that, encouraging them to do that, so that uh, when inevitably you do get some negative reviews about your business, um, which if you're in business long enough, you will, uh, when you get those uh, happening, it's just a drop in the bucket from all the positive reviews that you already have out there. Oh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, um Passive marketing compared to proactive marketing is, is is critical, and I think that's a huge mistake a lot of businesses make. It's like, well, we got a website, I got a business card, I got a brochure. Why aren't I getting thousands of phone calls as well? Because every other business in the world has done that. So having a brochure, having a business card, and having a website really doesn't mean anything these days. Maybe 15, 20 years ago, having a website had some wow factor, but these days, no. And in fact, if your website isn't set up to work on a mobile phone, your website's useless anyways. So really, it's kind of gone past that, and the most important thing you should have is a mobile website, and then if you have a, a website somebody can watch, uh, look at on um, a larger device, on a larger screen, uh, that's secondary. So, so much traffic and so many decisions are made on the small devices that people have. And, and Bob, that's even more true for local businesses because you know if someone is uh, driving around uh, in their car and they do a search uh, for a local restaurant, do you think they might be looking for a place to eat like right now? Um, you know, they're not looking for they're not doing general market research when they're doing these types of searches on their phone. They're looking for some somebody they can call right now. Um, 
and they're they're going to make a purchase almost immediately. If if you own a local towing company and someone's searching on their phone for you know, a local uh, tow truck operator, they're not doing general market research. They need help now because they're stuck on the side of the road with a smoking engine. So that's that's where having a website with a number that people can click to call and all your ratings and reviews um, that people can see. Uh, that's that's where that becomes really really critical. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, your your cell phone or your, your smartphone is the new Yellow Pages, and I don't even know why Yellow Pages keeps on trying to send us these books. I send them back. Let's talk a little bit about, because uh, you, you kind of mentioned it already, but let's talk about the strategy, because a lot of people are saying, oh, Google listings and Yelp and Facebook, how do I actually get more out of those platforms and, and I think uh, for a, a small business Yelp is probably the most powerful here in Canada I don't know what the most powerful one is in the States but it's probably Yelp or something like it how do people get more reviews on Yelp and, and a lot of times I'll sell, tell a customer well you've got to be proactive about it you have to like if you've got a restaurant and you're the chef at the restaurant or the maitre d' uh, and usually the owner is go out and mingle with the people that uh, are your customers and a person you recognize sit down and say hey Joe how's it going what did you think of the spaghetti today awesome great do me a favor give me your phone I want to download Yelp onto your phone and write me a review. I mean, you got to be that aggressive because if not, you can say, hey, can you write me a review on Yelp? It's never going to happen. People, you've really got to <laughs> ask people you know to do it and then you got to tell them, and not only that, I need you to also do reviews of a bunch of other places because if you sign on to Yelp and you do one review, it won't get published. Yelp understands that you know you can uh, game the system so that's a huge tip so it's not just saying hey give me a review on Yelp it's like I need you to get into Yelp and review two or three or four places that you think will help people in the community yeah it's it's a huge uh, pain Bob as you just mentioned and Yelp I think is something that small business owners love to hate because of the, the ridiculous policies that they have that make it so difficult to uh, get someone to actually post a review that is also published by Yelp. In fact, just uh, in the States recently, we had some lawsuits where businesses sued Yelp because uh, when they stopped paying Yelp um, to sort of advertise on their platform, Yelp took down all their positive reviews and only left the negative reviews. And believe it or not, Yelp actually won those lawsuits. Um, so it is actually legal for them to do that according to our uh, our wonderful government here. Um, but as much as you want to hate them, and uh, believe me, I understand that, the fact is they're not going away and they still so show up in search results. Um, people can still uh, you know, find your business there and see the, see the ratings and reviews. So what I recommend is using a tool um, that is available uh, and that I use with my clients called grade.us. Uh, there's another one, a competitor to them called Get Five Stars. They're both really uh, very similar. Um, but what they do is they give you a special one-page website that you can set up for uh, getting ratings and reviews from your customers. And on the website, it'll just have your logo, some very basic text, and uh, uh, five stars. And people can click what kind of star rating they want to give the business. So they can rate five stars, they can rate three stars, whatever. But here's the what the tool does that makes it 
so great. If someone clicks the five-star rating, it will then bring up a screen where they can click through to whatever review sites you want to direct them to to leave their rating and review. So let's say you really want to get some more reviews on Yelp. When they click that five-star rating, it'll bring up the Yelp logo. And when they click the Yelp the logo, it'll give them step-by-step -step instructions as to how to leave a review on Yelp. And then it will send them right to your Yelp page where they can leave that review. But on the other hand, if let's say they click the three stars or the two star or the one star rating, instead of bringing up that Yelp logo, it's going to bring up a feedback form that they can uh, fill out and do their little rant on the feedback form as to why you're so terrible and then hit submit. And that goes directly to you um, so that you have a uh, a little bit narrow window of opportunity to reach out to them and hopefully solve the problem before they go on to one of the public review sites and, and rant about you. Oh, absolutely. And let's talk a little bit about that strategy because I think that is where most businesses even large businesses fail miserably, uh, having a, a an emotional reaction to a negative review. If somebody gives you uh, let's say you have a tire shop, you you know, replace people's tires, and you say, why would anybody review me? Well, guess what? You're being reviewed. If somebody gives you a review and you uh, stumble across it, and it's a negative review, you can't get pissed off and say, oh, the guy's an asshole, and da da da, da and this, that, and the other thing. It's not our fault. We're great. You, that's that's denial. You got to say, okay. Why is that person angry? You read their comment and they could be just ranting. And a lot of times when people leave a negative view, it's not really realistic. It's just them. They're starting, they're frustrated. So I'm going to do a negative review and they're starting off with a relatively good attitude. And then they start to write and then all this negative stuff that they've been bottling up inside pours out and the review becomes really negative. They don't realize how uh, caustic sometimes it, it sounds. The best thing you can do is to contact that person or make a comment under their comment and say, wow, I had no idea that you had such a horrible time. We'd really like to help. How can we help you? Please contact. Here's my, here's my personal email or here's my phone number. Call me right now and let's fix this problem. Two things yeah. are happening there when people see it. One is that wow, this person really cares about a negative review and is concerned, so, geez, he's going to fix that problem. And number two, you get that person off a public platform and you can have your discussion in private. Exactly, Bob. You just you hit the nail on the head. You, you want to uh, demonstrate that you're, that you're, number one, monitoring the site and, monitor, and paying attention um, to those sites so that you actually know those reviews exist, which is, by the way, also something that the uh, grade dot us and get five stars uh, services do is monitor those sites for any mentions of your brand. So that's that's number one is when you um, bother to post a follow-up under their comment, you can demonstrate that you're paying attention and that you care. And number two, directing them off of a public platform where you can have further conversations about the problem in private. That's exactly what you want to do. And people will understand um, when they see that, that the person, you know, probably is not a good representation of your overall service. They understand that, um, you know, people have unreasonable expectations of businesses sometimes. And if you have 
four or five positive reviews that you've gotten by using some of the techniques we've suggested. And then you know, they see one negative review um, with some follow-up by you. They're going to take all of those into account um, when, they make, you know, when they form an opinion about your business. Let's talk a little bit because this is a this is a nice segue to kind of what we were talking about is getting the customers that you already have to help you spread the word and actually become your sales force. Yeah, that's uh, probably the most effective way for a new business, especially a small business on a tight marketing budget. That's your number one growth strategy right there is referrals from both your strategic partners and your customers. And the, the first thing that we, or the, the, the authors and I suggest that you do is do something different and exciting about your business that is worth talking about. And it doesn't even have to be directly related to your product or service. Um, we use a couple examples in the book uh, of one big business, uh, Double Tree Hotels, uh, where every time someone comes to check into the hotel, they're immediately handed a nice warm chocolate chip cookie. Uh, I saw the nutrition information on those cookies one one time, and it was not pretty, but they sure taste good. <laughs> um, and that really makes you remember your stay at the DoubleTree Hotel um, when you think about that cookie. Uh, we use another example of a small local business, um, one that I have a personal experience with, uh, which is a, a local wedding photographer. And uh, right when iPads were first coming out and they were really a hot ticket item, he started uh, delivering his uh, the wedding pictures to his customers instead of giving them a DVD or a flash drive with the photos on it, he'd give them an iPad that had uh, their slideshow from the wedding on there, and they'd get to keep the iPad. Uh, of course, that was built into his photography fee, uh, and he could pr- pretty much charge whatever he wanted because his customers couldn't stop talking about the great service he provided, but also the this free iPad. So it's it's having a mindset of Yes, we're going to give great service. That's the bare minimum expectation. But what else are we going to do on top of the great service that makes us uh, makes people want to talk about us and tell our tell their friends about us? Yeah, and that goes uh, hand in hand with great brand management or, or understanding what a brand is. And and I'm just going to step back here in a second and say, brand is not a logo. Brand is not your colors. The brand is the customer experience. And if you have a positive brand, that means that people that go to your product or service have a good experience and they're happy and they like to talk about what a great company you have. That's a that's a good, strong brand. A negative brand is somebody that just doesn't really care and uh, negative reviews, they don't care about it and they're usually going downhill. And that will affect the overall look of the business as well. So for sure... Brand is, um, or, or brand management is really, really critical. And I hate to use the word, but really it is the right word to use. If you have um, proper brand strategy and, and uh, understand the importance of the brand and that a brand actually has um, equity, then you'll take it way more serious. And one of the things that I notice a lot of times is people say, oh, let's have this idea for an offer and they'll just write it in marker on a piece of paper and stick it in the window and it looks tacky it looks cheap and it really isn't helping move uh, people to that particular product all they're saying is like something doesn't feel right about this business because if you do it once you do it 10 times and it just cheapens the overall 
expectations of a person when they go into your restaurant or into your shop or whatever. So always try to make everything look neat, tidy, and professional because that's how people want their vehicle or their house or their dog to be treated. They want the job to be done neatly, they want it to be done professionally, and they want amazing results. And if you can't do that for yourself, how could you do it for a customer? Exactly. And, and you said you made the very good points about the brand and everything you said was absolutely true. But I would add to that that even though the brand is not the logo, the logo is what the brand should represent what the brand stands for. And if you, like some other small business owners I know who I will not name, uh, decided to use like Microsoft Clip Art to design their logo, it was just by like changing some colors and uh, using uh, Microsoft Paint to add some text or something. Um, is that really the impression that you want to give as to what your business stands for? Is that the kind of quality that your business is going to uh, deliver in whatever service you provide? Well, I hope not. Um, so you really do want to spend a little bit of money on hiring a good designer to get you a logo that represents and communicates what you want your brand to stand for. Yeah, I, I would I would agree and disagree at the same time. I think today, and, and we're talking about the solopreneur here, they don't have a lot of money. Don't go hiring a, a, uh, a professional designer to do a logo if you really don't have a bunch of other stuff in place and you really don't have any customers yet. I mean, you can go out there and go to someplace like 99designs and they can, for $99, they can bash you off a logo. You can stick, stick that on a business card. Run your business for six months or longer. Try to figure out what it is your business is. A lot of times when I'll be dealing with clients, they'll say, oh, we need a website and say, yeah, no kidding, you need a website. Give me the content and they'll just give me a bunch of BS content that they've cobbled from other websites and it has nothing to do with them. So a lot of times what I'll say is like instead of you guys doing a website, why don't you do a blog and talk about your service for six months? And based on that content, we'll be able to come out with very, very uh, realistic statements about what your service actually is and then we'll make a website. Same thing with, you can start with a business card, do some networking, get some clients, service the heck out of them, make them really happy, get them talking about you. And once that's going, then go see a, a designer, say, okay, I built the business up to here. This is the feedback I'm getting for clients. Make me a logo that kind of embodies that. Then you've got a little bit of cash flow in it and it's not killing you that you're spending a thousand bucks or whatever on a logo and some branding elements. And then you can move forward from there. Yeah, you're right. And uh, that 99design site is what I use with my clients. I, I don't think you need to spend any more than that. Uh, I think it's actually uh, $300 for a uh, logo design where you can get uh, the, the package I'm thinking of. You can basically get 40 different designers competing to get a logo design for your company. And um, you're going to get some really, really high quality de designs. This is not, uh, this is 100% professional work. Um, and you can pick one winner out of all those designs to use for your logo. Um, I think it's a great, great uh, site and great service. And I don't think you need any more than that. Oh, absolutely. But what you do need is somebody like Kevin or a designer to help you pick because you have no, you don't have the skill set to look at 40 designs and decide which one you like because nine times out of 10, if you're the owner of a company, you're not the customer demographic. Sad as that sounds, 
really the type of people that come into your business aren't you. And many businesses fail because their perception of what the business is, is wrong. And uh, they just don't have the ability to step away from their business or have advisors or talk to other people in their network group and say, how do you perceive my business? Like, what do you see when you look at my business? And to get some feedback and say, oh, okay, well, I, I wow, I didn't know that. That's fascinating. That's the type of thing you should be doing as, as a leader in your organization. Even if it's a one-person organization, you still got to lead. The other big tip that I give people um, in solopreneur positions is I said, uh, if you were a large organization, you had five people in it, and you had somebody that was uh, marketing, how much would you pay them? And they said, well, you know, 50, maybe $60,000 plus commission. Great. So looking at your track record in uh, being a solopreneur, would you be paying yourself that much money or would you have fired yourself? And nine <laughs> times out of 10, people have this like, oh my God, I am the worst employee. That, really that is an excellent question. I think I'm going to use that myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really, it really puts things in perspective because it's like if you want to be a CEO and get paid $250,000, show me $250,000 worth of effort a year and $250,000 worth of growth in your company. And then, yeah, you can gripe about not being paid. But if your company's struggling and you're hardly making any money and you're just making ends meet, then somebody's not doing their job and they should be fired. And if you're the only person in that company, that's a nasty wake-up call. We've kind of gone all over the place today because this is kind of both of our passions, but let's try and drag ourselves back into the book. Um, for people that are about to read the book, what's the best way to approach the book? Is it a book you can read uh, end to end or, or you know, beginning to end or should uh, or can they jump to a section that they think is important? I think they really need to read the first uh, two chapters, definitely. That only takes them up to page 21, so that's, I think, entirely doable even for your listeners with shorter attention spans. Uh, and those two chapters are going to teach you how to create a marketing strategy for your business, um, some exercises you can do to determine what your core difference actually is and uh, get a good idea of who your ideal customer actually is. And that way, as you jump into the, the tactics that are covered in the rest of the book, you have that solid strategy of or solid foundation of a strategy to work with. Once you've gone through those two chapters, um, you can get away with jumping to a particular chapter that talks about a tactic you're really interested in or excited about, like direct mail or uh, doing event marketing or whatever. Um, but I would encourage you at some point to go back and uh, read the entire book just so you understand how all these pieces need to fit together. Because in essence, um, marketing is a system and it's not like you have a your direct mail going on over here in one corner and your networking going on over here in another corner and your website doing its own thing in, in another corner. They all need to be working together as a system in order to get you the best results. Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the I think the, the once again, a, a problem that a lot of small businesses have is number one, they don't have a marketing plan. And number two is they're not executing a marketing plan. They're, they're executing bits of it that they can afford to do. Um, a lot of times when I chat with people, I ask them what their marketing budget is and nine times out of 10, they have no idea. And I say, well, okay, great. How much money can you take out of your pocket every month that will not affect your family or your lifestyle or your business and burn? 
and they look at me in shock. And I said, well, how much is it? How much money could you actually burn and not affect it? And they said, well, I don't know, maybe 50 bucks as well. Then times that by 12 and that's your marketing budget. That's all the money you can actually afford to use for your marketing. And nine times out of 10, they'll say, but that's, that's not enough. I said, exactly. So start thinking about it a little bit more seriously. But you know, you do not go into marketing and say, oh, I'm going to spend $1,000 this month and I'm going to make $50,000 the next two months. It doesn't work. It's what's going to happen over the next 12 months. So don't have a $5,000 budget and spend the $5,000 budget in, in, in month one. That's just throwing that money down the toilet. Divide it up into 12 and use little increments of it. And if you really have no budget, then your budget is taking people out for a coffee. That's your budget, and that's around a $5,000 budget for the year. It's like going to a BNI, meeting people, asking for referrals, giving referrals, and then buying coffee and lunches for people. That costs about $5,000 a year. Yeah, good, good advice. Um, for people that are listening, what is one thing that they can do today to become a better local lead generation, uh, lead generation machine? Well, uh, other than uh, hiring me and buying the book, uh, <laughs> uh, what they can do is just become actively involved in a organization that supports uh, local business owners, provides opportunities for continuing education. This might be something that's uh, unique to your vertical or your profession, some sort of industry trade group. I'm a member, of course, of the Duct Tape Marketing Consultant Network, um, or it could be something like BNI. But just find an organization that you can turn to for education, support, um, mentorship, and uh, also possible strategic partnerships and referrals um, to help you as you grow. I'd say that's the, the number one thing you can do today. Mm, and solid advice, too. Kevin, where can people get more information? Uh, they can go to the website for the book, which is localleadgenbook.com. Uh, my website is redpointmarketingconsultants.com. And if they like uh, podcasts, which they probably do if they're listening to you, um, I host one called the Small Business Marketing Minute Podcast, which you can find on iTunes. So we've been chatting with Kevin today, and he's representing uh, several other people, Ray, Justin, Philip, and Mark. Uh, if you get the book, their bios are on the back. It gives you an idea of who's involved in this group. And, and you know, it's kind of like a power team that he's put together, and they've, they've created the book for it. It's a brilliant idea. And that's another great way of marketing your company once you start getting going is actually publish a book. Uh, he has mentioned uh, duct tape marketing. There, We've talked with John a couple of times on this show over the years. Uh, great guy, amazing system that he's got. So you want to, uh, you can search that on the, the website or just look him up. Definitely worth getting. But I think this book is the first book you should read before you get into any of John's books because it'll give you a much better idea of what you have to do uh, to get really serious about getting some leads, getting some money, and building your business. So, Kevin, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me, Bob. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Like us at Facebook forward slash Business Book Talk. Follow the host on Twitter at Bob Garlic. Visit the website businessbooktalk.com for show notes and lots of other great interviews. See you next week. Music.